0: We, uh, like I said, are going through the story of the Scripture. Um, If you are reading along with us in the story, uh, this will be chapter 4. If you're not, uh, you can actually go online to ChristCenter.com. Uh, and we have a, a reading list, and you can sort of keep up with us. So uh, we are introducing chapter four today, Deliverance, and so that's what you'd be reading this week if you're following along. We're actually one week behind the kids, which is kind of funny. They just, they can, they can absorb it all faster than we can, I guess. Um, if you are a parent and your kids are going through this, my wife and the team have a great thing going over there. Um, They're learning the story of the Bible in awesome uh, compelling ways, so ask them about it, you know, ask them how, what they're learning, get around the, the uh, dinner table or, or before they go to bed and talk with them about it. My kids are, are, are loving it, um, so anyway. Um, now, speaking of loving it, there's one other uh, thing we're going to do. We're going to do a video this morning, is that okay? Nobody ever complains about videos, especially when they're the Bible Project videos. I love these so much, and this is uh, from the, the Exodus here, the first one.
1: Let's talk about the book of Exodus. Now, you're probably familiar with this book because of the epic story of Moses leading Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Yeah, but that's just the first half of the book.
2: The second half has Moses giving the Ten Commandments to Israel, along with these blueprints for making a sacred tent. Now, right here in the middle is the story that connects these two halves together, and it all takes place at the foot of a famous mountain.
1: Okay, so let's start. Back at the
2: beginning. So the first thing we
1: have to remember is we're continuing the story from Genesis. Yeah, in Genesis, God promised Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. When Exodus begins, 400 years have passed, the family grows, and becomes the people group now called Israel. But there
2: is this huge problem because the Israelites are enslaved to this king of the Egyptians, a guy called Pharaoh. This guy is really bad news. Yeah, he's horrible. He he disregards their humanity, he brutally enslaves them, and he even orders that all of the Israelites' sons should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. He wants to wipe these people out. He's the worst character in the Bible so far.
1: Here is where we meet an Israelite woman who Wants to save her son.
2: And so she does throw him in the river, but safely in this little reed basket. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes him as her own. And this is the boy who grows up to become
1: Moses, the man who will rescue Israel from slavery. So... Moses grows up, and one day, much later in his life, he has this crazy encounter with God where he comes across a bush that's on fire, but it isn't actually burning up. And God speaks from the bush,
2: and he appoints Moses as the man he will use to deliver Israel.
1: So Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him this this news that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh, he just... Pretty much laughs at him. He's like, Who, Who's this God
2: Yahweh? And in fact, he's so offended by this request, he decides to make the Israelites
1: work even harder. So discouraged, Moses goes back to God and says, Listen, this plan's not going to work. But God repeats his promise that he's going to
2: rescue them. And in fact, it's right here for the first time in the Bible that we hear the word redemption. It literally just means to purchase a slave's freedom. But God here uses this word to describe what he's going to do for enslaved Israel. And God knows Pharaoh is
1: going to resist. So he sends 10 different plagues one after another, like turning water into blood, sending all sorts of pests and disease. These plagues are really severe they are severe but we need to understand that the story is
2: presenting these as acts of divine justice against one of the worst oppressors in the story of the bible and they're all aimed at the purpose of rescuing these enslaved
1: people and defeating the gods of egypt this all comes to a climax at the 10th plague where god's going to kill the firstborn sons across all egypt every house it's pretty rough
2: it is but it's also god's response for how pharaoh killed the israelite sons
1: Now as you turn the page, you suddenly get two long chapters of detailed instructions for what is essentially throwing a dinner party with a recipe for a lamb. Yeah, but this lamb is super important. God
2: tells the Israelites to pick it out and to prepare it to be eaten. And they are supposed to take its blood and then paint it all over the doorframe of their house. And anyone who is in that house will be spared from this final plague. And so this meal, which is called Passover, it commemorates this key moment in the story where God brings his justice on human evil,
1: but also shows mercy
2: by providing this substitute.
1: This final plague makes Pharaoh angry and he demands that Israel gets out of Egypt, which is great. But suddenly as they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind. He has a change of heart. But on top of that, we're also told that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why would God do
2: that? Well, what we need to remember is that over and over in this story, Pharaoh has already chosen to harden his own heart. And so at this point, Pharaoh, he's not just evil, he's become monstrously evil. Even his own advisors think that he has gone way too far. And so how is God supposed to deal with such an extreme form of evil? And what we see in this story, is that God uses his power to lure evil into its own destruction. Pharaoh and his army are destroyed in the Red Sea as Israel passes into freedom. And After this, we find the very first song of worship in the Bible as the people praise God for redeeming them. And It is in this story that the word salvation is also used for the first time,
1: which means simply to be rescued from danger. Now that they are saved, you would think that everything should be great. But the story quickly turns. The Israelites start wandering in the desert. They're tired, hungry, lost, and you start to wonder, what's God doing? What were they saved for?
2: And we learn the answer to that question in the very next story, which ties the two parts of this whole book together.
0: Isn't that cool? Man, I love these videos. By the way, this is one of the voices on that video is Anne McIntyre's nephew. Are you here, Anne? Yeah, isn't that amazing? We didn't even realize this until Bill came up to me and, and told me that. And so uh, he's a professor up in Portland, and he helped put that together. So we're scheming about trying to get him down here sometime to maybe preach, because I, I think those are amazing videos. So um, so the, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Can we do that? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being so near to us in everything we do. And uh, we invite you here, Holy Spirit, we invite you here this morning um, to speak to our hearts and I ask you to lead me as we're going through some tricky material this morning. Thank you for your goodness, thank you for the wisdom that you give so freely when we ask, and thank you that you help us to understand when we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, The whole grand narrative of scripture is a rescue mission. We use that terminology often here. We see what happened in the beginning of Genesis as uh, the, the fall of man, the selfishness of man, the, the switched allegiance of man away from his creator toward the enemy of God. And uh, the, the, the selfish, you know, anything the enemy uh, has to, all he has to do, all he wants to do is draw attention away from the source, away from God, and that's good enough for him. And uh, so the story of scripture is God charging in and saving humanity ultimately through Christ. The thing I love about this particular part of the grand narrative, the Exodus story, is it's sort of a, a small picture of the big narrative all in one because here it is God coming in, charging in, rescuing the children of Israel from bondage just like he's going to do on a grand scale with all of humanity through Christ. Um, So uh, I want to get into the story a little bit here. I want to invite you guys to use your imagination. And I want you to just think of what it must have been like. Forget Moses for a minute and that whole thing. Just think about what it must have been like to be a slave among these people. It would have been particularly rough psychologically. Now, physically, it would have been terrible. Okay, physically, here's what it would have been. You would have... Woken up in the morning, uh, along with all of your, um, your your tribe, and you would have marched down to the river, to the Nile River, and uh, got your ceramic pot maybe, and dipped it and filled it full of mud, and then brought it over to another uh, slave, and you would have sat down and tore up straw and mixed, kneaded this all together for hours and hours in the hot sun you had been doing this, and if you weren't going fast enough, you would have had an overseer over you who probably would have been one of your own countrymen who sold out to Egypt, somebody you especially despised whipping you or your cousin or your brother right there for not going fast enough. And you, you, would, you, would, you would make this into this tough uh, uh, mud that would stick together and then you would put these wooden forms on it and all across the riverbank would have been bricks, thousands of bricks and you had pathways between these bricks and the hot suns beating down on you. And you would have seen all around the, the riches of Egypt. Egypt was a it was a lush environment. It was very cosmopolitan, actually. I mean, it was, it was uh, luxurious in many, many ways. It was a pretty easy life if you're an Egyptian. And at this time, it's a pretty uh, rough life if you are a Hebrew in Egypt. But you would have seen other slaves, too. You would have seen people in all different capacities. For example, you would have seen... Uh, uh, people from the south, Nubians who had darker skin, uh, many Nubian slaves. You would have seen uh, uh, people from all around the continent of Africa, actually, because Egypt was such a power that they went to war with all different groups of people and brought back slaves. You would have seen lighter-skinned slaves probably from Kadesh or different parts of the ancient Near East that Egypt was often at war with. So you would see all these different people. You weren't the only slaves there, but I think there's something different in you, and here's why. You have promises to contend with. You have high hopes that you would love to just forget, but your mom won't let you. You see, it'd be easy if you're going to work in the morning, you don't have to think about anything, but your mom is telling you the story constantly because that's how oral tradition survived. That, that, that is what oral tradition was, was passing down of stories constantly. So she didn't open up a Bible, but she would say, hey, do you, do you remember what happened with Abraham that time when the angels came? Promise to be a great nation. Enough, mom. I don't even want to hear it. Maybe she sang it. Wouldn't that have been irritating? <laughs> a great nation. You're gonna bless all the world. You're gonna have more descendants than the stars in the sky, and you're gonna be a blessing to the entire world. And you're going, yeah, I can tell. You see, it would be so much easier if you didn't have the high expectations, wouldn't it? At least you could sort of resign yourself, like, all right, this is my lot in life, at least I... But here's the problem, is you've had a couple of times for reasons for hope, and the biggest one was this guy named Mo. This guy named Mo really, really blew it, because he was one of your own, and he was being raised in the palace as a prince, and he was getting all the best education, not only just from, from the wise men of the land, but from the, like, military commanders. If, you, if Josephus, the historian, is correct, Moses was a high-level general in Egypt and a very successful one, too. So here we have this guy. Can you imagine, like, you're getting updates? Like, you're making bricks, and the overseer passes by. You're like, hey, did you hear about Mo's latest battle? And You're whispering. What's going on? Yeah. He went down, he crossed the entire desert. Yeah. And he showed up on the Nubian king's doorstep. The battle lasted like half an hour before he surrendered. Dude, he's
3: coming. He's ours. I know.
0: Can you imagine what that buzz would have been? How long? How long before he's going to come make friends with us and lead us against the Pharaoh? High hopes. High hopes, because then he does connect with your people. He does connect with his brother. Things are going well. This is going to be amazing, except no, no, that's not what happened, see, because Mo threw a temper tantrum. Every slave knows you don't throw a temper tantrum. You can't. You have to stay calm. You can't lash out at one of the guards. Otherwise, he's going to make it terrible for all of you. Everybody knows that, but Mo, high and mighty Mo, Retaliates and he kills an Egyptian. And now he's banished. And now all the hope you had for him is gone. You have nobody else. You had no backup plan. That's it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, does it not? Psychologically, it would have been very difficult to be a Hebrew. What about Mo? Mo was a washout now. You know, he's a washout. He tried to, well, let's, let's look at, at, uh, at what happened. I mean, he, he had gone from being the great hope to the great goat. You know, he <laughs> blew everything. Now, he's somewhere. They think he's dead, I'm sure. He's become a Bedouin shepherd. He's roaming the desert uh, with his tribe, and he's taking his sheep just places where they can eat for the day and go into the next place. It's a far cry. From the great future that he had and we know what happened he sees this bush and he walks toward it and the voice comes down and says Moses take off your shoes you're on a holy ground I want to talk to you and he does what any of us would have done he obeys he probably wet his pants and then he obeyed and he gets here and uh, um here's what God says to him come now And I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And God responds, certainly I will be with you. I love that response. I've said this before in here several times, but I love this response so much because our modern impulse would have been like, what are you talking about? You're Mo." You were raised for this. You can do this. You can do this. God doesn't tell him that. In fact, I think God was probably nodding. It's a good point. Who are you? You're a washout, dude. You blew it. But I will be with you. So it's kind of a silly question. It's not about you, dude. Oh, oh, you thought it was about you? Oh, bless your heart. His answer is, "I will be with you." That's a moot point, Mo. Okay. Keeps going. Look at this. This is fascinating. Moses says to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. So it's almost like, okay, okay. I think he's almost throwing out like a what if. Okay, okay, say I do this. Suppose I do this. I'm not saying I'm going to, but if I did, I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they're going to ask me, what is his name? Isn't that interesting? I bet that question might not have occurred to us. What is his name? And what, what shall I say to them? I think Moses was asking for himself. What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. Fascinating. What is his name? Yeah, it's easy to look on this side of the Old Testament and see it as like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. But we forget that these guys had very little revelation of who God was. Very little. Basically, all they had was stories at this point. They had stories that happened hundreds of years ago to your ancestors. Stories of a voice speaking, making these grandiose promises, and doing a couple of wonders. But that's about it. You don't know anything about him. So here's Moe. Doesn't know anything about him either, apparently. He doesn't even know his name. So they go and stand before Pharaoh. Now watch this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron came unto Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Now, Again, let's step out of our modern Western context. When we see someone say, I don't know the Lord, that usually means, well, I don't believe in God. That is absolutely not what Pharaoh was saying. Pharaoh was saying quite the opposite. Oh, Pharaoh believes in God. Pharaoh believes in many, many, many gods. He believes in himself because he, in his mind, is a god. And he says, who is this one? Wait, wait, what's his name? I don't think he's being sarcastic. Who is he? Well, he's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jake. I don't know who that is. Well, he's I am who I am. Who? I do not know him, and therefore I do not fear him. Look around you, Mo. Look around. You're in Egypt, dude. You're in Egypt. Do you know the great gods of Egypt? Do you know Ra who rules the skies? Do you know Osiris who rules the underworld? Do you know Isis and, and all these other gods that give the lush Fertility to this land. We've been living under here for thousands of years, Mo, and I'm sorry, but this desert god, I am something, Is I don't know him. Go away. Now, after this, they go back to him, and Pharaoh is getting more irritated, and he says this, can you even do a miracle? Can you even do a wonder?" Just, okay, show me something. Please, show me something so I don't have to laugh you out of here. And so Aaron throws his stick down, and his stick becomes a snake. Okay, that's something, right? And Pharaoh fell on his knees and said, what shall I do to be saved? No, that's not what he said. He wasn't even impressed. He, not, he looks over to his wise men and goes, do your thing. And they all throw their sticks down, and do you know what happened? They became snakes too. Very interesting. We have to, again, step out of our Western mindset. You see, it's very easy for us today to go, oh, well, you know, all the the, the you know, the ancient religion stuff is all a bunch of hooey. Like, that was just all superstition. Or to say that uh, about many nations in the uh, Eastern world, especially. Oh, that's just it. They just don't understand anything. They don't know that there's only one God being ridiculous. So maybe these wise men had snakes up their sleeves or something and like ha-ha, <laughs> <laughs> ha-ha, showed you. Ow, ow. I think he bit me. That wasn't, no. Now, what happened here in itself should have been an omen to them. Now, I have looked this up. I don't recommend you, you, you Google this because it's scary. Janae's not here, see? Okay, Janae's feeling sick. Janae, you're gonna listen to this podcast. You're gonna wanna skip forward about 30 seconds at least. Something took place with these snakes. And there is video of this kind of thing happening. I saw a video of an African cobra striking at a black mamba, <laughs> poison being injected, and then he literally just swallows in piece by piece. It's, it's just nasty. You don't want to watch it. So, Janae, you can, well, forget it. You can start listening again. Um, it is, it is ugly. That's apparently what took place. Now, if you're an Egyptian, you know omens, and this should have been an omen for Pharaoh because there's even a story in Egyptian lore of, of, of the two crowns of Upper and Lower Egypt fighting against each other because they were at war. Uh, uh, Upper and Lower Egypt were at war very early on in their history, and Upper Egypt, that crown ate the Lower Egypt crown. And thus showing the superiority of their gods over their gods. So the gods of Upper Egypt ended up ruling the whole land. And here we have a very similar thing happening, except with snakes. And the god of this snake swallowed the gods of these snakes. And for some reason, Pharaoh, I don't even know what he was thinking, but he just, like, maybe he wasn't watching, maybe he just laughed it off. Somehow he lets them go. Very interesting, I think. Now... Here's what God says. He says this right before the 10th plague, and, and a lot of scholars have looked at this in some fascinating ways I'm about to show you. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Now, if you're ever looking for a time to take one of my sermons completely out of context and ruin me, this is the time. Okay, this is gonna sound like heresy. Please stay with me. You promise you'll stay with me? All right, everyone's awake now, anyway, I think, probably, that's good. It's Out of Context Sunday, welcome to Christ Center. All right. (laughs) There are a lot of scholars who have studied both the Bible and Egyptology that have suggested this, and the more I look at it, the more I think it's true. Follow this. Yahweh versus the gods of Egypt. The first plague, the first plague, of course, the Nile turns to blood, The Nile, you remember, is worshipped as a god in Egypt. Without the Nile, there would be no Egypt. It's in the center of a desert. There's no rain, basically. There should be no civilization called Egypt, but the Nile happens to flood every year and and deposit soil all around so people can grow crops. The Nile is worshipped as a god. In fact, there is the the, the Nile god called Hapi, a male god with feminine features that was said to nurse all of Egypt with the Nile. Now the Nile is polluted, and it appears that Hoppy bleeds. The next plague, the plague of frogs. Frogs were a sacred animal in ancient Egypt. Now there were mountains of dead carcasses, When before they weren't allowed to step on them even. Now there's mountains of dead carcasses because they're everywhere. And they, they've got to do something, they have to kill them, and they're burning them, and it's, it's terrible. Now Hecate, the god of frogs, and he's uh, a fertility god of, uh, uh, goddess, excuse me, of frogs, is mocked, and that which they thought was holy is now profaned. And as the evangelist Winky Pratney says, it's almost as if God said, do you like frogs? I'll give you frogs. <laughs> Lice. There was an earth god called Seb. Seb could not stop the plague of lice, which was all over the ground and all over all the the animals and everything. Could not stop them. Could not save them from the tiny menaces on the ground. And then the the priests themselves, the priests of all these gods, could not cleanse themselves because of the lice infiltration. They could not cleanse themselves to go and make these desperate sacrifices that they must have just been falling to pieces at this point. Stop this from happening. What is going on? And they can't go in and talk to their gods. And it goes on and on. The god of flies is mocked. The god of cattle. There are many gods of cattle, actually. They're shamed and powerless to stop the pestilence that comes against the herds. Sekhmet, the goddess of healing, cannot stop the boils that infect everyone in the land. Nut, the sky goddess, cannot stop the hail. Isis... Isis, the goddess of agriculture, is, provided, is proved to be a complete and utter failure as the remaining crops of Egypt are destroyed by locusts. And I imagine at this point, the desperate Egyptians, seeing before them their entire pantheon, completely humiliated, holding on to one thin hope at this point as they see this desert god that nobody knows come in and make, a, make a, a, a sham of their gods. They're holding on to one thing. They're saying, yeah? Well, we still have Ra. Ammon, Ra still rules the sky and he has for thousands of years and Egypt has been the greatest civilization under the hot desert sun and he will rise again tomorrow and they wake up the next morning and the sun does not rise. People speculate that it might have been a very (laughs) divinely orchestrated, extremely dense dust storm allowing no sunlight into the land. What a blow that must have been. Raw, humiliated. And finally, finally, Pharaoh himself is judged as the heir to the throne of Horus dies in the night. Now here's what I want to point out. Is anybody scandalized yet? Here's what I want to point out. You might think this is silly, that this sounds silly. Well, this was all mythology, right? Here's the out of context quote here. You ready? Yeah, it seems seems silly, it seems outlandish, but I believe in some ways the Egyptians had a far better grasp on the world than many modern Christians in the West. Here's what I mean. You guys, at least they understood and acknowledged that there are multiple forces in the world. At least they acknowledged that there's an invisible war happening. Were they wrong on things? Of course. But they acknowledged that there was a clash happening that they could not see. And for some reason, I don't understand why this happens, but think about all the conversations that you've been in that involve, like, the sovereignty of God. When you look at something that happened, some terrible thing that happened, and you think, why did God do that? There's more than one force in the world, but we've we've distilled everything down. Well, there's only one God. Yes, there's only one omnipotent, uncreated creator in the whole universe, but there are many, many forces in the world that we can't see, and they're at war. This is part of the great redemption story. Who is Christ redeeming us from if not Satan? From ourselves, well, yes, but we've chosen ourselves and, and as a, in the process wound up in the domain of Satan. That's what happens. He chooses anything he can get us over there to. This is part, uh, this, is, this is the main part of the drama that we're dealing with. But maybe it's the influence of Western materialism that believes all that exists is materials that pushes us over to a place where we don't even acknowledge spiritual warfare anymore, where we just go, well, it must have just been something God wanted to do. And we end up going along with stuff and not praying hard against stuff because it must have been God. must have been what God wanted. Why do you assume that? Why do we assume that? Do you see what I'm saying? Was Egypt a very pagan place? Yes, absolutely. Were they right on these things? No, but they they worship. You know what? I I do think they're worshiping something when they're worshiping these gods, don't you? I think they're worshiping something. And some of these things had power. This is precisely... To me, what I think Paul meant when he said this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And if you discount this battle, you're gonna wind up attributing so many bad things to God that you're no longer gonna believe in your heart that he's good. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a key component in Christianity that you have to believe in the reality of evil, guys. We saw a horrible thing, horrible thing happen in Roseburg 10 days ago. A horrible, horrible thing. Now, is God gonna do something there to make good out of that evil? You know what? He always does. He makes beauty from ashes in the most unexpected places. But that doesn't mean he intended the ashes. That was not God that did that thing. That was a demonically inspired event. There are forces that are out of this world evil. And I have to believe that's what happened with that young man. We see it all around us. People wonder, why does the world look like such a war zone? Because the world is a war zone. That's why. That's why. I wonder sometimes if God's listening to our discussions on his sovereignty and man's free will and all these things, and he's thinking, didn't didn't you hear what my son said? The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and life abundantly. He was laying out a very clear differentiation. Do you see what I'm saying? We must see that differentiation. We must, as we are walking through our lives and the difficulties that we see, acknowledge that there is more than one force, there's more than one will in this world. And part of our job on earth as the kingdom of God is to push back the forces of darkness. And little by little, that kingdom will expand and it will overwhelm the enemies of our Lord. And we are in the midst of that process. That's why we still see terrible things happen, because the job isn't complete yet. There are still powers. There are there is still terrible evil in this world. And we are called to fight against it. I got a call or a a message this week. Uh, I have a cousin down in Texas, and his 14-year-old son was just diagnosed with this blood condition. Uh, Just a full-of-life young man, just a a great young man, just diagnosed with this this rare blood condition. Um, And the, the one treatment that he's offered is so severe, he has to get a meningitis vaccine because the medication alone can cause meningitis. It's extreme. And only 21% of, of people who get this disease are still alive after three years. Now, I can look at that situation and go, God, why, why, why? And there are still good why questions. Why, doesn't, why does he intervene sometimes and sometimes not? I don't know. I don't know the answers to that question. But I can say for certain that that is not God. God is the God of life and life abundantly. It's the enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So I will not oversimplify my theology in order to make myself feel better that this must be God's plan. It's not God's plan. So I can pray now with confidence saying, God, I know you're good. I know you did not give Isaiah this disease. So I'm gonna ask you, Lord, to take it away because that's the kind of God you are. Don't get trapped in this thing. Don't get trapped in this thing where you, we feel like we have to, we have to somehow make it okay. It's not okay. We live in a broken world and it's not okay. And even in your prayers, it's okay to say, God, this is not okay. And I think he'd be right there going, you're right, this is not okay. There are things that happen to you guys that are not okay. And some of you guys maybe attributed this somehow to, well, the Lord wanted you to go through this, God wanted you to get abused, or the Lord wanted this person to, or all these things. And I say, I don't think so. Are there occasional Job moments? Yes, there are occasional Job moments, but that's not God's modus operandi, guys. He does not operate that way normally. And he did not intend for those things to happen. And it's okay to cry and it's okay to shake your fist at what took place and say, this will come to an end. Someday this will come to an end because this is not part of God's created being. And that's why I think we can rise up together and call on the forces of the Lord to oppose something. We can do that with confidence and not second guessing ourselves of whether God's actually good. And have the worship team come forward, please, after the plagues are over. They come to the Red Sea. They start freaking out. God nudges Moses. Moses lifts up his stick. Moses, the washout, lifts up his stick, and the sea stands up for his people just stands right up, bows. They walk through to safety. And as they're pursued then by Pharaoh and his minions, Moses puts his stick down and... And in that worship service that the video referred to, here's part of the song. I will sing to the Lord for he has highly exalted the horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Nobody. Nobody. Are there forces? Yeah, there are. And the whole point of the story is he's bigger and he's better than all the forces that you can imagine. That's the whole point of the story. This is a rescue story. And some of us today have things that we still need to be rescued from and they seem so big and looming and sometimes we're afraid even to admit that they're there because somehow we're going like, to lend power to them by admitting them as if God doesn't already see the reality. God can take the reality. So if you're sick, don't say, well, I'm not, I can't say that I'm sick. No, 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 say it and then call out for help. You see, that's what the Israelites did. They cried out to God, God, we're enslaved. They weren't shy, they weren't shy about that. We're enslaved and this stinks because this is not, this is not what you promised. So come through and he came through. Some of you guys have these situations today too. If you have things that are wrong, then you can say, Lord, I need your help because this thing in my life is not right. There's real powers out there. It's not only disease, there's addictions. Some of you are dealing with addictions. This is not something God intended for you. Do you hear me? It's not something He intended for you. He's still there and He's still present and He wants to lead you out of that thing. So don't think that He wanted you to have these terrible addictions and have relationships fall apart and all these terrible things happen in order to make something good come out of it. No, 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 He'll make something good come out of it regardless what happens. He is greater than the addiction. He is greater than the disease. He's greater than the broken relationships. That is the story of the Exodus. God rescues from all the very present powers that are in this earth. That's a good story. And it's our story today as much as it is theirs. We're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing an anthem of praise to the Lord that extols the greatness of who he is and the beauty of his character. And if you want him to overcome things in your life, I invite you, come forward, let's sing this together, let's raise a fist against the injustice and the cruelty of the enemy, and say, Lord, come, Lord, deliver us,
3: you are good, you are good. You are the one true God, over all the earth are you. and the Father's love. You became my sin to save and to overcome by your glorious name by your glorious name. You are the Lord, the Lord God so merciful. You are the Lord you
0: servant team is going to come forward. They usually meet in the back, but I think I want them to come forward today. If you guys have anything you want to pray for, take advantage of this time. And uh, if you want to stay and worship, they're going to keep playing for a little bit. So don't rush out of here if the Lord's doing something, okay? And if you need prayer, be bold. Be bold. Go after it. Let someone stand alongside and stir those things up with you.